Hi there, my friends, and welcome to the Brent Poland Podcast with me, Brent, where I get to have a discussion, debate, internal thoughts about the human condition, meaning of life, the past, the present, and the future, and generally, whatever takes my fancy. Hi there, and welcome to this edition of Brent Poland's podcast with me, Brent Poland. Today I'm going to investigate, discuss and theorise about this idea of luck. Yes, I know, an Irish guy talking about luck. Yeah, I will address that one later. Yeah, I'll have to discuss the luck of the Irish. I've entitled this this podcast, Fortune Favours the Brave, Fortune Favours the Bold, or whatever variation of that statement that, that you get. Basically, I'm going to look at it, I believe that look as a force is something that we may have more control over than we think. However, I still believe there's always a place for luck, for that X factor, that hidden opportunity or the hidden force that you just cannot control outside our destiny, which of course leads to many thinking that there is a divine providence that we, we're all you know, lucky or unlucky, that our, you know, there's a guiding force behind us and that although we have our free will, some of us are just born luckier than others. Or equally, I will explore the ideas of, is there such a thing? Or are we completely random? So it is one of those deep, deep concepts, look. And of course, there are those that believe in it. There are those that, the scoundrels that gamble, you know, who who believe that they, they have a method of look um, that they can control it, that they can shape it, that it is part of their destiny. And certainly historical figures have always felt, you know, those who were successful, that they certainly look plays no part in their in their success, whereas others quite humbly are, are quite keen to point out and say they're just at the right place in the right time. Certainly all throughout human existence, it is something that has been pondered and again finds itself in religions, You'll find ideas of luck in Proverbs in the Christian religion. You'll find it in the Hindu religion. Again, you'll find it in Islam, the Quran. You find that luck inserts itself into even, you know, um, anthropological backgrounds of different cultures from different parts of the world. They're completely unconnected. Um, The reason why I thought to do this, this podcast on this is I was asked to recently at New Year's on my local um, BBC uh, radio, a slot as a local history teacher on the history of and different customs of New Year's and it struck me the sheer number of global cultures that have got a connection to luck and the new year and and this idea of you know uh, bemoaning last year's luck and then doing some ritual in order to make sure that you have better luck for the coming year and and certainly there is a definite human obsession with lucky objects and lucky, oh, I'm going to say it, lucky charms or lucky symbols or, or lucky rituals. Or, you know, it is certainly something that binds our species together. This idea that we are have some fates and that we have some sort of set of things that we can do to increase our chances and probabilities. And it's, it's quite primeval within us 
that we've always craved control over our destinies and and that equally some of us give ourselves over to a higher power and and their good graces it's a bit like you know the greek gods up in mount mount olympus you know and you're praying for them to give you good fortune and and every culture seems to have some aspect of that i mean coming from an Irish Celtic background oh, we are obsessed with it oh it's just in our DNA it's just uh, everywhere you know and yes the stereotype does exist doesn't it the whole um, the look of the Irish and for me um, I've always hated that phrase I really have always hated that phrase because I always saw the historical irony in, in one nation being considered quite lucky and when you look as I say in neutral at the history of the island of Ireland. <laughs> I don't think we can claim to be the luckiest nation in the world. Um, I think Sigmund Freud's, you know, he was asked once about, you know, about his theories and how they apply to different countries. And he always basically acknowledged that his theories could not apply to the Irish because he just couldn't understand how a misfortunate group of individuals <laughs> were so happy. He obviously hadn't factored in or... Our, uh, our mothers uh, and our mother's attitude of go and catch yourself on and stop feeling sorry for yourself but certainly when you look at superstitions I come from a culture that is deeply superstitious and and is you know stereotyped as having this relationship with luck the idea of this relationship of luck and say a look of the Irish is actually an insult and it comes from, believe it or not, it's like many of our um, fake culture this, these days that emanates from globalisation. It comes from America, of course. And it comes from the gold rushes of America when there was such a huge influx of Irish migrants who were fleeing none other than pestilence and famine in, in Ireland in the 1840s, 1850s. So how lucky were they that they were forced out of their homes quarter population of the island in less than three years has to migrate quarter population of the island is dead and many of these found their found, people found their way to the new world of course only to be discriminated against and stereotyped as a horde of, of celtic catholics coming over um the white anglo-saxon protestant elite in america had a very derogatory and hibernophobia i think they, you call that you know fear of the irish and as such, they were seen like this grand horde coming over and, and invading these new land, taking with them the old world problems. So this anti-Irish sentiment followed with them and also did the superstitions of Irish culture as well and the myths and legends of Irish culture. And as a result of that, this kind of hybrid mix um, of fake Irishness, I suppose, was born, including the whole leprechauns and lucky charms. And certainly... The whole look of the Irish thing was actually seen as a derogatory statement from the the large numbers of Irish miners in the especially the gold rushes of California and the this gold and silver rushes and of course the newspapers would report you know a lucky Irishman I think one example was a lucky Irishman in, in the um, found a large gold nugget and that was the how that newspaper report was written you know lucky Irishman boom it turns into the the look of the Irish but actually believe it or not it was seen derogatory because this was based on this idea that it was 
dumb luck. It was blind luck. It was not earned. This was somebody fecklessly finding a rock somewhere and how lucky were they? Oh, that's just typical. So it was actually seen as, you know, brainless, brainless luck. This person just finds this rock and and within the, the washbush elite society of America that frowned upon that, they were self-made and, and righteous and had worked hard for their gains. Whereas here are these, you know, lesser individuals who just find good fortune and good luck almost insult really that your fortune was not earned and not fair and that's where this whole look of the Irish came from and that's where the, the phrase blind look comes from as well or dumb look comes from because it was considered to be unearned and and you see that a lot in that kind of culture um, in America that comes back again through American festivals and 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 that sort of stuck, that stereotype is stuck. I mean, there's a, around the internet, there's a quote attributed to the, the Irish writer called Jonathan Swift of Gulliver's Travels. And it's not true because the quote has swearing in it. In it. it basically says along the lines of, you know, the Irish aren't beeping lucky. And now Jonathan Swift wouldn't have said that because, well, he was writing in the, 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 the 18th century and he was quite a civilized individual. But just shows you that there is always competing ideas of culture and and people change culture to suit themselves. Um, I am lucky to be here. I will acknowledge that because we're all lucky to be here. When you look at the, the chances of life, <laughs> contraception, and you look at our own existence, every life is kind of lucky. I'm lucky I have two children. When I look at them, I look at them, how perfect they are. And I think, wow, aren't they amazing creations? Um one of my favourite writers is Bill Bryson. And I love Bill Bryson's book, Short History of Everything. And the thing I love about the Short History of Everything is it's kind of, it's kind of like the, one of the best science books ever written by a travel writer. And the reason why I love it is because he really takes the big concepts, like the Big Bang and the, you know, and the creation of life, and he's able to explain them in layman's terms in a way that... Um, God forgive me for saying it. Some of my teachers maybe hopefully don't listen to this. Um, hopefully I'm a good teacher myself, but he explains it in terms that an average person can understand. Whereas sometimes when you're at school looking at these things, they're not, really, not very well explained to you. And certainly I loved one of his explanations about the Goldilocks planet. And I've seen um, a book about that as well, where some scientists have, you know, come up with this phrase for our planet being the Goldilocks planet. Because you look at it and you think, where, where are we in space? We're just a tiny, tiny dot in the middle of the cosmos. And then we're not too far from the sun, but far enough away. So we're not too far that we'd be cold, but we're not close enough that we'd be burned to a cinder. We have an atmosphere that has just got the right amount of chemicals. There's too many of nitrogen or sulfates around it, and that creates an atmosphere that's unbreathable or life wouldn't be supported. Then we have water, we have oxygen, and we have, we have all this life. And then our species comes along only because you know, other species... It's like 99.999% of all life on Earth has gone extinct. You know, we're only here now because there's no more dinosaurs, you know. And you start looking at it. You start looking at how lucky mankind is. 
And it does make you wonder, you know, we are. And this is what leads to, obviously, people being deeply religious about it. Because you can't look at mankind as one big accident. Well, you can. Some people do and say, well, we're just one big, giant, improbable, statistical kind of anomaly that we are, here we are, on this floating rock, spinning around, you know, a large ball of gas called the sun. And we're somehow able to have this conversation, you know. <laughs> you know, it makes you think I'm plugged into the matrix sometimes. But how lucky is our species? How would you put all those percentages and all those events together to, to get 4.67 billion years? And here I am having this conversation on, on, on a device. It's, it's an amazing. And then I look at my own chances of survival, of the number of cells uh, and the way I've evolved. You know, life is amazing. We are lucky to be alive. And it's when you start realising that and you start looking at it from a bigger, bigger picture, um, you start to wonder. I mean, I had that recently when I was was trying to to do the the first ever lesson of children in geography. It was the first ever, this is your world. And I started with the Big Bang. (laughs) So I thought, where do you start? And I played them the opening theme tune to the Big Bang Theory TV series. And I would recommend that you listen to, to the whole theme tune. The Burlicket Nadies did it. It's fantastic. It, it does start with, you know, a whole universe in a hot, dense state. And then takes you through kind of like the serendipity of, of, of how we've got from the Big Bang to, you know, the world today. It's, it's, it's amazing. Or the old video that we had from... Um, Fat Boy Slim, right here, right now. I'm number one, so I try harder. You know, this is why you know you look at evolution and you look at you look at how we've got here as a species, and you think, wow, we're just one big ball of chance, aren't we? We're just one big kind of like mistake after the other, and then here we are now. And it's like we're lucky we've got this planet, but then are we lucky that we're destroying it? This is the thing, isn't it? You sort of you have that then thought of whoa hold on a second here are we pushing our look are we pushing our look way too far and then maybe we need to have a serious think about um, whether the mistakes we are making is going to pave the way I mean it's the whole thing about uh, in 1962 if somebody hadn't whispered in Kennedy's ear do you really want to do this sir one of his minor advisors then cockroaches would inherit this earth because we'd have a nuclear war and we'd be you know, to be a different species in a couple of million years' time. You know, it's Planet of the Apes kind of moment, isn't it? So you you think how lucky mankind is to survive itself. You know, we we have the ability. How many mere misses and how many lucky lucky escapes have we had from our own hand? Never mind from an asteroid or a supervolcano. You start looking at the probabilities and chances of all different cosmic events, and you think. I'm lucky to be alive, you know what I mean? You know, I had one moment of myself when I, um, I suppose the time, you know, have your life flash before your eyes. I was I was in Australia, I was in Brisbane, I was feeling good about myself and I was walking around Brisbane, which is a lovely, lovely city. And uh, I was not even mindful of what was going on. I was just walking around. I walked across the road, as you do, and boom, bus comes right at me. And I stop and I freeze and I do that thing uh, when you just, you close your eyes, you go, and you wince, and you think, that's it. And your whole life flashes before your eyes. And then, boom, uh, I had that epiphany moment of, oh, please, you know, I prayed, please, 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 boom. 
and it just breaks just right at the right time, just right up to my nose. And I think to the window of the bus coming up to my nose. And the driver just gave me the look, that look of, you absolute idiot. He swore at me, of course, and in a heavy Australian accent. And I had that guilty look of, sorry, hold my hands up, acknowledged it. And only afterwards do you think, my gosh, how close was that? I'm lucky that driver was paying attention. I'm lucky he had his coffee this morning. And you think, if that driver had been, you know, five seconds late, it's like that um, really good movie. I love it. It's an old one now, 90 Sliding Doors. You know, she doesn't get on the subway. And then her life turns out so differently. Our, our lives are just one big ball of chances, aren't they? I mean, um, I look at it again, why I'm lucky to be alive is that my own grandfather, um, my own grandfather was recently re- reading and doing some research about my family history. Um, as you do as you get older, and I was, I was fascinated to, to read about uh, both sides of my family. And I knew my grandfather was a hero in the war, and I knew that he was involved in um, the North Atlantic convoys, and I knew that he'd obviously been taking risks in the war, and he'd won medals for bravery. But then I actually dug in deep as to what he won the medal for. <laughs> And he won a medal for, I think it was George Cross, mentioned the dispatches, himself and two others. <laughs> Basically, um, a German dive bomber, Stuka, dive bombed their, their merchant vessel, merchant navy vessel. Um, the bomb hit the deck. The bomb did not explode. But my grandfather and two other seamen rushed over to that unexploded German bomb and between the three of them lifted the unexploded bomb that was obviously about to explode with about like in the movies the, the fizzing thing they the, 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 the going round and, and literally between himself and the other two chucked the bomb over the side just before it went off that literally goes off as they, they chucked it over and then you think my whoa and that bomb explodes my grandfather dies. My mother's never born. <laughs> I'm never born. You know, it's it's that's that's the the chances and the look of the fact that I'm lucky to be alive. I'm lucky that my mother's born. I'm, I'm lucky that um, my grandfather, you know, took that chance and he survived and how brave as he was. And it makes you think and look at some historical events, like, for instance, take Churchill in the war. I mean, Churchill himself was uh, a great coder of history and a great writer of history, but he was unlucky in many aspects. In Gallipoli, he ordered the the invasion of Gallipoli in the First World War. It was an absolute disaster. It cost him his career at the time. He had to serve in the trenches to redeem himself. But then he understood. He evolved. He, he made a mistake. He learned from it. In World War Two in um, Normandy, Normandy beaches, and the invasion of the Normandy beaches, the British casualties were a lot less than the American casualties. There was no saving Private Ryan for the for the British troops because Churchill made sure that the British landings had learned from the amphibious mistakes that he had made at Gallipoli. So in essence, he had evolved his look. He had changed his look. He had learned from his look, and he took steps to make sure that the probability was better on this one. And that is how you maximise your ability to look. But then also, he himself was a lucky individual. Um, and even the winning the war was quite lucky in some aspects. If you look at the American involvement, you know, Pearl Harbour was out of his control, but 
you know, the Japanese made that mistake. The, the, the Soviet Union was invaded by Germany outside his control. And of course, that was a massive mistake in the war. Turing cracking the Enigma machine. There's so many things you could say, wow, that was quite lucky. One classic example is Churchill got so fed up, so fed up of the German bombs coming down. And this was during the, the, the Blitz and, and the, the early part of the war, the Battle of Britain. And he got so tired of the, the Germans' attacks that he ordered his bombers over to Berlin on a practical suicide mission just to basically get one back at the Germans, just to make them feel like he felt. And he was advised against it. He says, no, I've had enough. And this is what you get with a maverick leader. This is what you get with somebody who takes chances. There's somebody who thinks outside the box. And Churchill was one of those. And it, 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 it woke Hitler up. It upset Hitler. It upset Hitler that much. And he took it that personally. And of course, Churchill made this decision after having, you know, his usual highball whiskey and having a few beers and a few drinks. He was a big spirit drinker. You know, I would say he was pretty much half cut when he made this decision. And on the drunken decision of Churchill, the war changed. Because Hitler changed his mind about bombing the airfields. Override his, over, overrid his uh, commanders, his, uh, his air force, and said, I want you to bomb the British cities now. You've done the airfields, you've done the RAF, they're pretty much finished. Go, I want you to teach the British a lesson. How dare they bomb Berlin? That gave the RAF a couple of days respite. And they were on their knees to get their planes back in the air. And that was one of the pivotal moments in the Battle of Britain. And all because Churchill basically lost his temper after having a you get so frustrated being bombed by the Germans that he then goes and orders an attack that pretty much no other leader would have ordered. And then in retaliation for that, you know, Hitler goes and orders a similar attack. And you think there's no legislation for that. That You know, that is in itself the, the sort of the chances that people take. And, and that's how, you know, sometimes wars are won. I and mean, you, you take some of the greatest leaders in history, like some of the greatest... Um, luckiest but not luckiest they made their own luck Alexander the Great conquers the known world the guy was an absolute genius a military commander without peer you know outnumbered outgunned against the Persian and somebody who comes up with the tactics and when you study Alexander the Great you go wow you know all modern sort of leaders look at Alexander the Great and go wow but but how did he die (laughs) he may have never lost the battle but he made himself ill, swigging down, you know, wine in a competition and died two weeks later. <laughs> he died from over-drinking wine and never lost a battle. Caesar, again another peerless military commander, you know, completely without without fail, one of the greatest, you know, generals and leaders and, and politicians of all time. How does he die? He dies being stabbed in the Senate floor by one of his best friends. You know, lucky or unlucky on that one. You know, Napoleon, in modern terms, one of the greatest military commanders, absolute genius. The man was so prepared, knew everything, a brain the size of, you know, a planet. And yet, he was undone. He was undone at the Battle of Waterloo by the mud. And he bemoaned that, the weather, the mud. You know, he had everything down to a T, every gun counted. And yet he had to delay that battle by two, three hours because of the mud. And that two or three hours allowed the Germans to get back and Blucher and the Prussians to get back and to save the day. 
And even Wellington himself acknowledged that there was a close run thing. You know, it's it's William the Conqueror orders orders the arrow to be fired at Harold. Is it unlucky that King Harold dies in the Battle of Hastings? No, it is not. It's not unlucky. It's not unlucky he gets the arrow in the eye because a lot of Saxons got the arrow in the eye that day because it was William's commanding. William took his army over there. Nobody else had done that since the since the, the Romans had done it in, in AD 43. So nearly a thousand, over a thousand years, no army had come over to England on a day and, and defeated the, the, the Anglo-Saxons in that way. And that was, that is on William the Conqueror. That's why he's called William the Conqueror. He's not called William the Average. Alexander the Great's called Alexander the Great. These, these great guys in history are great because they didn't rely upon, they didn't rely upon chance. Maybe chance sometimes helped them out. But I'm a firm believer in the fact that success is more to do with your ability, I believe, to be in the right place at the right time, yes, but also to take control of your own destiny. You take um, Elizabeth and the Spanish Armada. She chose the right commanders, the right ships, the right tactics. However, the wind was blowing the right direction for her. She got lucky there. But then again, she had more than more than enough luck on her side because the odds were in her favour because she made the correct decisions. You take sporting teams that say, sporting teams that say, oh, we were unlucky. Well, they're only saying they're unlucky because mm, maybe they haven't prepared. Maybe they haven't worked hard enough. I mean, one of my problems now with luck is we're losing the ability to have luck in the world we live in. You know, you used to be able to pit yourself against a casino and, 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 and probability and chance. Now with, say, our algorithms... And the way that we, we, we buy things and the way that we are, we have less chance and probability now because a lot of chance and probability has been calculated by algorithms. So in a, in a world today, there is less luck. There is less chance because there's people out there calculating the percentage of luck. I love playing my, um, my football manager simulation game and one of the new features is, is expected goals. And it sort of says, well, what's the probability of you scoring a goal? And now your your sporting teams and things like that they're they're calculating the percentage of luck. You can now start to quantify luck. You can now start to regulate luck. It's like everything else. It's a bit of a sad loss of the mystery element and the X factor of luck is being quantified, statistically analysed, and turned into data, <laughs> which is like much of the modern world, isn't it? It's like much of the modern world. I mean, when you talk about lucky people. I was struck by when I read about the Battle of Britain and the last surviving pilot of the Battle of Britain. And you know what his name is? John Paddy Hemingway. Yes, he's an Irishman. And yes, the headlines are the last surviving Battle of Britain of the few is the lucky Irishman. <laughs> like, I've come full circle in that, haven't I? I've come full circle. To leave you with my thoughts is that all of my thoughts on this are based upon one book that I read. And my philosophy in life is based upon one book that I read at 17 when I studied politics. And what that was based upon was Machiavelli's The Prince. And he is much lamented for being a person who, many would say, he espouses that the cruelest, the evilest... <laughs> The nastiness wins. 
you know, being nice guy finishes last. And Machiavelli's reputation is is one of such of cunning and guile wins the day. And I think that's unfortunate because there's more to Machiavelli than that. In many ways, Machiavelli tries to tell prescribing future rulers and anybody who's successful that you should not use fortune. You should not rely on your luck. But instead, you should rely upon your own virtue. You should rely upon your own skill. And that you simply have to work hard. You simply have to take chances. You simply have to try your best. You simply have to be, yes, in the right place at the right time. There is a place for a little bit of luck. But the successful people are those that make their own chances, that make their own luck. And if you speak to anybody who is successful, they'll always tell you that. I had the fortune of working at it for my old university as Illumini Relations. And they, they matched me up with people with a similar degree to mine. And one of the things that I always asked was, they always asked me who was still the lecturers there. Was they, they asked me the usual questions that you would about your old university. But I always asked them. I was just finishing my degree and I was curious for some careers advice. And when I looked at the person's job, and sometimes I saw this amazing job. Wow, well, you're doing this job. It's amazing. How did you get that job? The majority of answers surprised me. I was expecting, you know, hard work. I got this qualification, that qualification. The vast majority of answers were something along the lines of, I went for a job interview. Didn't think I'd get it. Took a chance. I got it. The amount of times that the individual turned around and said they were right place, right time, took an opportunity, and somehow it fell into place. It struck me that the people who were successful were chance takers. The people who were successful were playing the odds. Try, try as many things as possible. I succeed. And then it struck me that the, what I had read at 17 in my political teachings when reading Machiavelli had a certain grain of truth in it. And that's my advice to all of you. Take chances. Take risks. That's my advice to all the students I teach. Take chances. Take risks. Take measured risks and measured chances. Go for it. Have a go at things. We have more chance of succeeding by having a go than waiting for it to happen. And that, my friends, is exactly what Machiavelli said. Fortune favours the bold. Fortune favours the brave. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope wish you all good luck. I wish you all good fortune. Thanks for listening, my friends. And if you enjoyed what you heard, then please like, share and subscribe. And any feedback you can give me would be more than appreciated. <laughs> Teachers love feedback. You can find me on Twitter at BrentPoland1. You can find me on YouTube at BrentPoland1. Funny enough, Instagram, my account is BrentPoland1. However, my Facebook is my local Arrowwash Green Party. And that is Arrowwash Green at Facebook. Thank you again, my friends.